So a number of questions about mm, things such as restlessness, feeling a lot of things to do in the mind. Mm. So how about what happens when we're going to the world outside the retreat? And also sights and sounds, mental proliferation, sometimes causes um, uncontrollable laughter. Songs humming in the head. Stories being created. Can't really get back to the breathing. All these stories, wandering mind. Bad memories. Breathing just goes all over the place, goes haywire. How can I expand my awareness? Vibrations on parts of the body, especially the face. How should I react to these sensations? Do they signify anything? People are crazy, that's what they signify. This is a, a generally generally speaking, this is mind is not centered in itself. So it's um, you know it's just kind of uh, spitting out stories. So it's because it's not really gathered into itself. It's not collected, uh, and it's highly um, um, affected by sights and sounds. You get nervous reactions, giddy impulses, laughter. So it's it's really not stabilized. Restlessness, thinking about the future, what to do after the retreat, and so on. The mind isn't stabilized in the here and now. It's a simple um, comment. Uh, How does that stabilizing in the here and now occur so that our energies, our attention is drawn, placed in a proper suitable place where we can benefit from it and running out into places that give us no benefit. Simply speaking, all these topics require energy. They run out, energy runs out, runs around. So it needs to be gathered in. And generally, where there is attention, that's where, where attention goes, that's where energy goes, so if you give more attention to these phenomena, uh, restlessness, concerns about the world, um, and so on, then you give them more energy, they keep running around. Songs keep running, keep singing. Get So that's because you give it more energy, even if you're trying to stop them, still you're involving yourself with them. And jitta isn't really gathering into its own center. This isn't simple enough diagnosis, but what to do about that, because jitta center is not easy to find. It's not a sensation. It's not a thought. You know, where is it? It's not in a place in your body. No, not really. At least not, not on the anatomical body it's not. There is a place in the felt body, sensed body, the energetic body, which is 
quiet and cool, but probably that takes some time and skill to to sense. So one has to find this way of having a good degree of careful attention and steering. Now often we are... uh, our practice can veer between either kind of rigid, trying to pin the mind down, which doesn't really work. You know, it might, you pin it down for a while, but it squirms out again. Yeah. Or just very relaxed and open, but then sometimes it doesn't have enough centering. It just, just dribbles, draws away daydreams and songs and stories. So... We don't want to be just rigid, but at the same time we don't want to be too loose. What's the middle way? And of course, this is where you know all the so many meditation instructions are about finding a suitable theme for the mind to gather itself on. And of course, you know we tend to think, well, as a particular, we should do anapanasati, which certainly is a highly recommended main theme but not, it's not the only one. And uh, this is a mixture both of deliberate um, thinking or deliberately turning the mind towards where it feels most settled and steady. And it won't be in the sense contact field, sight or sound. It won't be there. It'll be internal. It's the possibility of it being steady, even though the internal may seem very chaotic. It's strange how it can seem chaotic, and it is chaotic, but if attention draws to it and, and frames it with mindfulness, it's surprising how well it settles down. It needs to be carefully held. Now we say the internal world, what's that? Uh, um, now thought is not actually internal it's uh, external mm. that is thought's an object a series of objects that arise well, it's, the, it's the sense field the sense base of the thinking of the mind the sense base it's like sight isn't really internal thought is not internal although it certainly has internalizing effects what is internal is really uh, quality of mental feeling, mental feeling, mental energy, body energy, uh, because these are more like not exactly experiences that we can point to, but experiences we can we can feel. You know, you, they are. They fill us. And so this, uh, then these, these will tend to, the, the carefully cultivated, these will tend to form in a strange way uh, a kind of a firm, fluid center. Mind is centered in its sense of steadiness happiness, ease, those can be sensed as a feeling 
perceptions such as the perception of space, the perception of light, the perception of um, steady energy. Um, so these then become internalized and they, the mind gathers into them uh, and these are the ways which we draw attention back. So we need to get attention to find these deeply internal experiences. Now internal and external, not in, they're not that far away from each other, they're like two sides of a skin, you know, this side and that side, they're not completely separate. So we notice the, you might say, you know, when you have a thinking mind, how do you feel about that? Do you like that? Do you, it seems to me that you don't like it, even though it seems to be enjoying itself, doing stuff, creating stories. In a way, you don't, you don't want that to go on, because you're asking how do you deal with it. So you don't want it to go on, because you don't like it. That's a feeling of dislike. You know, how does that quality of dislike, feeling, how, does that, how do you feel that? How does that, how does that affect your heart? If you're disturbed, um, agitated, um, disappointed, you know, wish it was another way, perhaps a bit hopeless, struggling, uh, losing confidence, not grounded. Okay, now you've got there. Now that particular quality that you're experiencing as your reaction to this phenomenon reaction to the song or the story or the restlessness your reaction to it, your disliking of it you're trying to find a way to deal with it uh, and your sense of feeling conflicted and struggling with that that quality that, that quality is the chitta you know, that's a particular form in the chitta and we ask, what does that sense of struggle, what does it ask for? Not from your thinking mind. You know, your thinking mind can give an order like it needs to be calm or quiet, but that's not coming from the right place. It needs to come from the chitta itself, where there's almost like a, and this is the nature of sympathy, the chitta is naturally, as long as conditions arise, there's a, there's, it has a sympathetic quality. It's like water. You know, if you drop a leaf on a lake, it shivers. And that's the nature of chitta. It's like water in that respect. It, it trembles. It's, that's what I mean by sympathy. It's, not, not, it's affected and it shivers. And actually it seeks harmony. So when we place that sense of distress, this of course is why the Buddha pointed to this factor, dukkha. So you can, basically you can, you know, you can distill everything down to this one word, dukkha. <laughs> you know, it's dukkha over restless mind, dukkha over mind not being able to settle down, dukkha over not being able to meditate, dukkha over, you know, feeling hopeless, there it is, and this is the dukkha that we could 
do something about. Pain, not much. Yeah. Loss of sense faculties, no, not really. I uh, can't do much about that. But we can do something about this internal pain of the citta, its distress, its sense of isolation, its feeling of desperate, you know. And where does that response come from? It comes from citta. <laughs> and it comes when you, you stop thinking about it, stop dealing with with it from your personal mind stop seeing it as something out there but actually just sympathize with it it feels like this and it's a sympathetic response and what's really needed now what's really needed now and you could say in some sense perhaps one way of talking about it is it comes from the body it's not entirely correct, but it's something like you can feel this agitation and you can sense there's even a somatic quality to it, a somatic quality to it. Well, what's really helpful here? I just need some breath of fresh air or a ground somewhere to stand and then strangely enough once you get the right point that arises that quality arises so this is a very immediate uh, process takes a little bit of time to negotiate through the variety of phenomena that there are they're quite different and they're all mesmerizing and somewhat distracting and you can get what's this all this about why am I feeling like that how do you feel about that don't like it want it to stop you know want it to not be this way so even when we say like to understand it we really mean I like to understand it so that I could stop it I could somehow be away from that. I would be clear. I'd be able to go, oh, it's this, that, and the other. I would be in control of it. So this is all various ways in which we experience this uh, not wishing for, not liking, but it becomes complicated by the way we, our minds think and imagine things. They just get to, to that. What does it feel like to be with this? And how, when you get that sense, once again, you know, mm. and you certainly notice it has an effect on your body energy. You feel strained, or slightly disoriented, or uneasy, you know. They're not, they're, not, they're not like sensations, but the bodily sense is, I don't feel comfortable, I feel unsteady, uh, I feel not firm, I feel kind of spinning out or confused, something like that. And this was me, just firm it up, 
steady, 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 you know, just simple compassionate approach, you know, steady. Oh. Draw your mind in to that. Now, many of our meditation techniques will have something of that in them. You're even using the word buddho, very simple technique. You know, so simple, sometimes we think, well, this is going to do me any good. But by using something that has a sound to it, you listen to the forming of the word, the sound itself, the effect of the sound. So there's both the sense object, which you could say is external, even if even if I'm just thinking it, it's still external to the mind. The mind is now creating it. If the mind is creating it, it's external to the mind. Yeah? The mind is creating it. Right? So it's not the mind, it's something the mind creates. But you create that, and naturally, as you create that, you go, how does that feel? Well, is it smooth or um, steadying? You sustain the syllable over a breath. Is it steadying? It's more steadying than just your average chit-chat mind, isn't it? You know, you can think, probably you can think 50 thoughts by the time you even said one syllable. <laughs> that fast. They're just holding it. What's the, how does that feel? Well, it feels... Steadying and sustain it, and then as you experience not just the sound but the steadying, which is the jitta's response to the sound. Now, this steadying that is internal, yeah. it's the jitta, so you don't create steadying, you use some an object like a sound. And the jitta responds to a, a helpful object by experiencing steadiness. Now that steadying that is an internal quality. Right? You know, so so you you create an object, sound, breath, a mantra, walking, movement, you know, something like that that then you keep bringing that, your jitta's attention to that. So your jitta's attention goes to that object and you keep placing it on that object and you find an object that you can stick your attention on. It's not too subtle. It's good enough. It's steady enough. It doesn't have to be that special. But we might use, you know, like a sound, something like that. Anybody can make those sounds. Um, and that's the call that the external thing. And then you hear it, taking it in, even though you're not actually making a sound, you're keeping it in your own mind, as it were. But that's still the external, even though it's in your mind. And then the internal quality of the mind is feeling steadied by that. Feeling something like my mind can rest on that. That's the internal quality, where the mind, by itself, in itself, just feels a little more steady. Now you can't say, oh, there's steadiness as an object. <laughs> you know, you just feel steady. <laughs> so that's why I say internal. It becomes, the mind becomes steady. Yeah? 
And so this is um, you know, skillful use of this sankara process. Jitta sankara, which I you know, talked about in ways that do present its uncomfortable aspect because much of the jitta sankara is very much associated with you know, uncertainty, uh, confusion, sense bases, worries, all kinds of random phenomena that run around, some of them extremely unpleasant and painful because those are the ones that really, you know, jitter is stuck with. It's got these thorns in its flesh. (laughs) It's got this rope around its throat. It's struggling and it's wounded like a wounded animal, you know. So these are the ones that really flare up and you think, oh, 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 wow. So yeah, those are bad. But you don't just get out of it uh, just by disliking it. (laughs) And so the the step-by-step process is you create, you deliberately create sankhara, skillful ones. So sankhara is generated through attention, that's the sankara. So you bring your attention to something. Your sense of volition or intention is a repeated, calm, steady. There we go. Place it again. Drift up. Place it again. Drift. Place it again. Feeling tired? Take a break. Then bring it up. Place it again. Place it again. Just like you're training a dog. I mean, it's kind of humbling, isn't it? But. <laughs> Or I sometimes say, like you're kind of soothing a monkey. You know, you go, monkey, you know, just, just steady it, steady it, feed it. You know, you've got to do a number of things. But this is skillful volition, skillful intention. And contact, you keep touching the mind with this, these experiences. And this will certainly have an effect. Now, um, and it becomes quite, quite discernible. Now, another word that is associated with the word sankara is formation, which is somewhat, what's that, what does that mean, you know? <laughs> it's a kind of neutral term. But you begin to discern, if you get out of the topics of the, what the mind is doing, and say, well, you know, if, this, if you could look at this thing, what would it look like? And you probably so it's it looked like something that's kind of a like a like a a ball of wool being thrown into the air. It's just spinning out threads all over the place. Yeah. That's its form. It's a chaotic form. It's uh, sometimes it's um, a very uneven form. If it was completely unbalanced, it can't like a like a that won't stand up. It's an uneven form. And, of course, um, in our daily lives, we, uh, we get our minds get formed by certain formative principles, like, you know, getting the thing done, getting a job done, so you get a very sharp mind, a very hard mind, rather. It run, it quite rigid mind. And rigid mind becomes insensitive. So when we have a lot of pressure and duties, the shape of the mind becomes quite hard and narrow. As you know, you can talk about narrow-minded, because that's exactly what happens. It's narrow. 
There's no breadth, no span. Yeah. And if you, you feel it, it's kind of tight, narrow mind. Now, we want to get out of that because it's insensitive. It's, it's kind of numb. Uh, so, but then we're broadening the mind. We want to make sure we do that carefully so it just doesn't mean the thing collapses like, you know, like just throwing a bowl of porridge onto the floor. It just oozes out. So it's gathering the, the fluidity of the mind into a form that will be, you know, collected. And this is a process of samadhi. Right? It's collecting the mental energy into a, into a felt form which feels comfortable, spacious but firm, warm but not hot, um, sensitive but not... Uh, Overreactive, and this is your craft. This is your craft, like a potter. And you can use pretty simple objects, like just like a, you can make a beautiful vase, a very beautiful vase out of mud. That's pretty simple, isn't it? <laughs> the raw material is just mud doesn't get much simpler than that but the way you hold it and the way you shape and the care you take and uh, you know the skill that's where the vase comes from <laughs> now you're so you're gathering the mind and you may have an idea of a particular softness or steadiness that you feel really good with and now, now as you're attending to your meditation object you're, you're picking up these qualities from your the response to the meditation object, I just feel steadying. That's what we need: steadying. That's good for the to create. This is steadying and flexible. That's really useful too. Steadying, flexible. The mind is made more flexible, sensitive, but not reactive. You can pick all these up from using a meditation object. Hmm. And these qualities then consolidate into, we call it, samadhi. You know, collected, steady, and, and what's occurred is the mental energy, which is, could be spinning out into this, that, and the other, is carefully gathered up through its response to a suitable meditation object. Now, as I say, these meditation objects can be themselves be relatively simple, as long as they carry for you certain, if they evoke certain qualities for you. And they don't, the same meditation object doesn't do the same thing for different people. You know, so um, the Buddha used the image of a, a wise cook who is working for a king and a stupid cook who works for a king. The stupid cook, on day one, he prepares some rice, curry, dal, serves it to the king. Doesn't like it very much. Maybe picks away at a bit of the dal or something. Next day, the cook serves exactly the same thing. King, don't like this. Third day, he serves the same thing. He says, oh, get rid of this cook, stupid cook. 
because he doesn't notice what his king picks up. The wise cook, he prepares a meal, puts it down, he knows the king doesn't eat that, he doesn't like that, he rather likes that. I'll give him more of that. That's what I mean. He gives him some more of that. Oh, king, oh, yeah. he seems to enjoy that. I'll try a bit of this. Oh, he likes that too. So, the, you know, the, the, the skilled cook is constantly seeing where his mind, where this master's mind gets interested. Now, in the same way, we treat the chitta like the king. And say, well, what's this going to work for this one? So just a bit of this, a bit of that. And primarily the fundamental qualities that Jitta will appreciate is, you know, (laughs) steadiness, uh, warmth, like a warm-hearted quality, likes that. Um, sensitivity, so we're not just slapping it around, bullying it, he likes that. And so these qualities come from both what we, a meditation object we feel suits us, we feel, yeah, I can manage this, and now I can continue to get these qualities of steadying myself, steadying my heart around that object, becoming more sensitive to the qualities in that, yeah, uh, Acquiring a certain degree of, of agility, so even using a sound like buddho, which is, you know doesn't very much, is it? But you can notice the way that the, the word begins, bud, and the opening quality of the vowel, the resonant and the length of it. It's got lovely, smooth, flowing, open quality. You might notice. You know, as you even think that sound, if you think it very deliberately, you get an effect in your body. Primarily, it's ready for the throat to make that sound. Right? So you notice when you make the sound, your throat has to tighten a little. Not hard, but it lengthens, it draws together. When your energy rises. Now, if you use a sound like... Slightly different, the mind is broader, softer, energy goes declines. So and you can contemplate these qualities within that. Now you view right? I mean there are of course there are other sounds like eh, which is very deep. Eh, which perhaps is rather strains your throat, because uh, you've got to get very hold it very wide and still get resonance out of it, and of course very high-pitched sounds, which again is rather straining. So the U and the O sound are nice central, but it's also a lovely one, which is which is pretty much steady, straight from the heart. So you might even just use that. And hear it. Mind's got something to, to guide it with, because the mind really responds to resonance and tone. Just like we respond to a person's uh, goodwill because we get a tonal quality of being touched by it. If someone speaks with a warm, friendly voice, we get touched by the tone of it. These These are extremely significant 
You know, it's not, you know, it's not the thought, it's, it's the tone of the thought. The, the quality of it. And now if we are able to, say, bring that sound onto our breathing, this gives it tremendous uh, benefit because then the quality that that sound is bringing up and the quality of the body with the breath begin to unify, come together. And this adds a huge dimension to meditation because now your whole body is meditating, you know, right down into your, into your, into your belly and your chest and the muscles are all going... <laughs> right or the whole thing so this makes it like really pretty rich to the point when eventually you can do that and you can just let go of the sound altogether and just feel these tones of, of uh, energy moving through your body but you have to kind of pace yourself and see what seems to be working and uh, you know what seems to be working and when when the mind is ready and we can't make it ready until it is ready like you can't get a three-year-old to be a ten-year-old but you can certainly you know move it up along that way <laughs> you can nourish it and educate it the mind will learn and it will learn if we approach it in the right way now of course if mindfulness of breathing isn't really what your mind is attracted to or can pick up then you might do things like just sweeping through your body. Another very nice meditation. Um, and, you know, but here we're really um, taking our time to linger on exactly, not just our idea, oh, there's an elbow, there's a hand, yeah, finger, right, knee, toe, good, done it. You know, but that's <laughs> to linger on the quality of what's there in the tissues you know as you come down your neck uh, it's, is it so this is where we use the palette if you like or the vocabulary of the elements and these elements the sense of solidity which you call earth that which um, resists pressure it can stand up it's earth. There's a quality called air, that which exerts pressure. It pushes like breath does. Yeah. That which warms us with vitality, energy, or literally heat, or light even. Light is a kind of, this is all fire. It's an energy process. So, and then water means things blend together. So as we're kind of feeling the body, you know, how, how, what's this made of? Does it feel like rubber or wood or steel? Oops. <laughs> or silk? <laughs> Does it feel like really warm or pretty numb? And you're not trying to change it. You're just almost like stroking it. Stroking it with your awareness. How is that? Because you don't get it the first time. As we know, when you use a meditation object, we say, okay, we'll sit for 45 minutes. That's a lot of breathing. So it doesn't say, we'll just get one breath. You have to do it a lot for the chitta to pick it up. 
to, to really get the quality of it. Uh, and so, you know, you don't get it the first time. But you get a little bit the first time. Enough to make you feel encouraged. And same with body sweeping. Yeah, what's it feel like? I don't, I don't know, it doesn't feel like anything really. Just the body. Well, would you say it's like uh, water? No, no, no. Rock? Not really. Okay, we're getting closer. What about... I suppose it's a sort of rubbery. Okay. Now you go down to your elbow. Is that rubber? Oh no, that's harder. Now you're getting it. <laughs> that's not... That's more like... That's, that's, that's more like bone, isn't it? It's a different substance. So you can detect these different qualities and you might notice when you're coming into your face yeah it's pretty soft tissues but quite a lot of fire in there it's got a lot of vitality and warmth flooding through it so the fire element comes up and you feel the center of your forehead quite a lot of fire here light blazing away and as you cultivate and you get more refined at it you begin to sense this visual thing that you normally call your body that's what that's just a visual experience that's not the body <laughs> and even the ideas of ribs and spine and sinews is just an idea what you actually directly feel qualities of warmth solidity pressure movement spaciousness fluid flow and the body becomes, in your, in your awareness, becomes something that's got no particular shape. It's not, not the shape you see with your eye. It's just this con- constant blending of bodily factors arising and passing. And that, that experience is very, very pleasant for the chitta. It's very pleasant. Um, And, you know, it can be the case, of course, that these body elements are really quite in discord. This place was really unpleasantly rigid. Wow, is that rigid? You know, I don't like that at all. Okay, the rigid place. You try to spread your attention over that rigid place, and you see, is there anywhere where there's some sense of fluidity and you connect the rigid to the fluid and let them find balance if you feel there's a lot one side of your body feels a lot stronger or heavier or more active than the other side you keep sweeping your attention steadily across from one side to the other keeping them connected so that they will find balance the body will begin to unify his elements will begin to come harmonious. This harmony is extremely pleasant for the chitta. It really enjoys harmony. That's what it's been seeking. Uh, this is not something we can just... I can just tell you in like 10 minutes, but you're going to take, you're going to take you a year to do it. <laughs> but you can start. You, know, you can pick it up and you can do a little bit. Uh, 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 when I say a year, I mean, I don't want to make it sound so far-fetched, but you'll certainly sense, shift a perspective, and I can do this, I see something I can work with, you know, that 
instead of feeling constantly aggressive towards this rigidity in my body and trying to stop it, I could just keep connecting it to somewhere where there's some space or openness. Oh yeah, the pain dissolves, begins to dissipate. Well, that's beautiful. I mean, I've been fighting with that for 10 years. And maybe in, you know, 25 minutes of meditation, sounds like a lot, but it's nothing compared with 10 years of pain. <laughs> you could get some significant reduction on that. And that's one piece you've ticked off the list, you know. And then maybe there's another piece which is throbbing, strangely. Okay, let's turn to that and ease that out. So you begin, you know, moulding and shaping this body into something that feels really uh, comfortable. And then your chitta enjoys it because it's doing real, valuable work, not just wasting its time daydreaming and (laughs) chasing fantasies and just getting in a tangle. And so this is just, this is the, the where we, you know, encouraging ourselves to, to, to meditate. In a way, it certainly is work, but we want to make it work that we rather enjoy doing by finding something that we can feel we can, we can get into it, we can get a handle on it. Well, of course, it can be the case you just, mind just feels I don't want to do anything at all, I'm just tired. Okay, well then just go to the sense of openness and kindness. And let, let, and just keep sustaining that openness and kindness. Let the mind kind of blah, blah, blah. You know, it might take you a day or two, but eventually the mind's going to come up again. <laughs> you know, trying to whip it up is not going to work. You sustain openness, kindness, non identification. This is a sick mind, it needs some help. <laughs> you put it in intensive care, hold it carefully, you're probably fine within a day or so, it perks up. But if you keep meddling with it, it's not going to like that very much at all. <laughs> uh, so uh, the way we relate to the mind also is something that has profound effects because the mind notices whether you like it or not, whether you, you know, it feels that sense of, she's trying to, she doesn't like me, you know, she's bullying me, she's, she's, doesn't, you know, doesn't like that at all. So if you're saying, well, you know, I realize this is in a, not such a happy condition as sympathy, the mind likes that. And it picks up that quality. <clears throat> and when it's steady and persevering with it, in a reasonable way, the mind appreciates that. And this is the way we form that skillful relationship and the qualities of that become internalized and give us a feeling of mind feels confident, settled, properly held. Then it begins like a properly um, nursed baby or a properly held uh, creature it begins to be strong and then it will serve us that's the whole principle of, of samadhi meditation and just think of samadhi not too much as, uh, as some something too technical but just the sense of gathering collecting yourself your mind 
and it collects not by giving it orders but by applying, steadying, settling, comforting, encouraging attitudes and objects to it. You have to find out what those are. Here's your range. You've got breathing, you've got silence, you've got sound, you've got body sweeping, you've got recollections of Buddha. You've got a range of things. You pick and you kind of also can kind of um, shape your practice within that. And then these phenomena will tend to, you know, settle down because they're all aspects of the mind not feeling settled and carefully held. Songs and stories will really relate to the sanya aggregate. Mind is you know, searching for something, some sanya, some perception, some impression to get stimulated by or to feel, you know, uh, activated by. So we need to apply another kind of sanya, another kind of impression, such as sound, breathing, and so forth. These meditation objects turn it towards that. Um, okay, so you know, I'll say that all that at first because remember when we're doing a meditation retreat, we're not just—it's not just like doing a you know, like studying a course, an exam, where you go, okay, here's your, here's your thing, go and do that. You're really looking at an occasion to use any of these systems, techniques, in a careful way for your own well-being, you know. <laughs> Some questions on Anapanasati, mindfulness of breathing person asks is it good to to know the different steps in the Anapanasati Sutta at least to know a few of the 16 steps to reduce the tendency of the mind to run away it's good to have those that map in the background because uh, the terms are quite significant that are used and also we notice what what the Buddha doesn't say. Um, so he says things like sitting at the root of a tree, legs folded, body upright. So that seems to be quite important because he, he's pretty generally very terse. So it's just what you need. So that seems to be an important thing. Get that empty place, sense of space around you. And then mindfulness, bringing up the quality of of this careful holding, and then noticing within that this is the experience of breathing in and the experience of breathing out. So take note: this is about a process. So breathing in is a process, isn't it? It's not a particular thing. It's a it's a process. It's something that extends through a period of time, a few seconds. And then breathing out as a process. So you've got to stay with that thing, that process as it occurs. So your mindfulness is rather like placing a couple of hands around something that's moving. 
and holding it carefully. So, and we can say that first of all, we might need to. How is this? How is this? How is this? But eventually, you can, your hands can be relatively still, and the breath flows through it. So this is when the mindfulness is established. We might need to, you know, find out where where is this thing anyway? I can feel it in my chest or my throat. But then you really want the whole process. So the mindfulness, like two hands, steady and still with the breath flowing through it, breathing flowing through it, aware of the process. And what, what is the process? Particular sensations arise and pass, particular energies arise and pass. But the feature uh, that runs through the entire sutta is inhalation, exhalation. So that seems to be, again, the difference between inhalation and exhalation. It's constantly, every, every section this is, you do it inhaling, you notice it exhaling. So... Now, what do we notice as we inhale? The characteristic of inhaling is energy. Characteristic of exhaling is energy, isn't it? Right? That's the, and the effect is felt in the body. And then he says things like noticing it's long, so the breath may, first of all, we want to, the breath is not closed, it's complete, long. You don't have to um, just begin to relax parts of your body that can restrict the breathing, like in your chest, your throat, lower abdomen. See if you can get those to open up, relax them. So the breath is as full and long as it can be. And sometimes the breath is short or irregular. You know, we breathe in a little bit short, we breathe out rather long. It's like that. But you just sustain mindfulness around that process and it begins to become more steady and it says then thoroughly sensitive to the entire body I breathe in, I breathe out so we're feeling the effects as it resonates through the entire body and then calming the kaya sankara uh, soothing the kaya sankara which you might say is the body's nervous energy which could be tingly or bright of course it could be sluggish and dull but we're soothing it, steadying it purifying it because the, as long as that breathing is moving through this in-out process it naturally has a way of grooming and clearing this, this energy in our bodies which could be rather tangled or compressed or sluggish if you're finding it's getting your mind predominantly sluggish then maybe you should give more attention to breathing in and the top of your chest and maybe your head if you're finding yourself rather tense and you should perhaps give more attention to breathing out and descending you know? if you're finding yourself breathing rather restricted maybe you should contemplate the widening of the chest as you breathe in and the, and the flexibility of the chest as you breathe in and out so you can pick up different features um, as you're shaping this practice. Mm. Right? 
you know this is this is this is a sense of using intelligence for it until you come to a it feels just about right yeah, it feels full steady yeah. and then they say well then the, the sign of it is that uh, your mind begins to lift if you're happy <laughs> piti occurs and this is synonymous with the uh, the way as the as our breath, breathing, and body become more complete and satisfied, the mind dwells in it, and it begins to discard things such as ill will, irritability, grumpiness, bitterness, grudges, that, that quality, <laughs> and craving that kind of panting dog quality that the mind gets. I want, I want, I want. <laughs> yeah. Because it, it, it just sit here, it's more comfortable. And of course, these two other features restlessness, which is, or dullness, which is a stagnant energy, and restlessness, which is, means it's got no real foundation, nothing to settle into. So if we make the breathing more complete and comfortable, then the mind will tend to settle in. And we feel confident mind feels confident so there's no doubt it feels settled and assured and then with that that's all that occurring then we get this next thing is called piti, piti and sukha there's an uplift and there's a sweet contented quality and with that sweet contented quality the next thing is it talks about the citta sankara it says well then sensitive to the citta sankara, just noticing how the mind is this particular mind gets very reactive to that very activated by that so then we're breathing the quality of this contented happiness into these places where the mind is rather jumpy or wounded or reactive it's like putting balm on it or oil on dry skin you just massage the citta sankara, so then, then calming the citta sankara. And so you do that. I mean, you know, it's easy to talk about, isn't it? <laughs> but it's a nice map, a nice image to have in the mind of, of what's possible and the, the skill of, of craft that's required. And this is something you can work on for decades, really. Without feeling you're, you're too slow, you know, to be a, a real master, in decade, at least twenty years. You know, I'm not joking. <laughs> you know, if you want to be a master calligrapher, you're not going. It's not going to happen in a week. If you go to Japan, it take twenty years or so just doing squiggles and say, no, too much ego, no, not enough energy, no, losing energy, throw it away, start again. You know, if you want to be that, it's after about 20 years, I think, I think you can write one word properly. You know? <laughs> Very good. <laughs> and the real master's about 85 years old. I think, I'm nearly getting there. I'm getting to the good bit. <laughs> the same like with Anapana, but perhaps it could be, it could be not so long. I mean, I mean some people are just, just naturally, you know, gifted. They're natural geniuses, but... A lot of us have to do quite a bit of work and not to give up. Because calming the jitta sankara is just 
good sense. <laughs> but notice it begins with the body. Because the Jitta Sankara is too volatile, too reactive, too, often to approach directly. You just got to give, your, give it something perhaps a little more physical to settle into. But then you get to the refined stuff where he talks about, you know, sensitive to chitta, which is the very quality of awareness itself, the sensitive quality, and then gladdening. It's a lovely idea, isn't it? Just feeling happy with it, like rejoicing in it, satisfying it, gladdening it, and then steadying it, and, and clearing away all these traces of regret or worry, latent tendencies, and then this is called freeing, freeing the citta. And all this we can see very lightly traced by a master. And then this is what we call the the samatha process, if you like, and then the vipassana process is the last section of it, where you begin to contemplate these signs, the characteristics of change, changeability, the way that everything is really pulsing and fluctuating. Dispassion, you get a sense of just mind is cooling away from getting fired up about things. Ceasing, we begin to just drop history, drop stories, drop images, drop strategies, drop, drop things cease. Relinquishment, self-view. Now you don't have to wait until you, you know, to do that, you can almost you can use that fourth tetrad in conjunction with any of the other three. So, for example, you're feeling your body. You can experience impermanence in terms of body. You can experience dispassion in terms of body. You can experience cessation in terms of body. You know, such as this sort of um, bodily pain or energy has now quit. My body feels light. Or this stiffness has, has gone. That's called cessation. And ideally the relinquishment of the sense of I am this body. This is just the body because I'm working with it. Like my clay. No, not it. I'm working with it. So these are just you know, good things to refer to. And then we've got to get always down to, you know, that's the big picture. Then you get down to specific details of, well, what happens when you get mind feels calm, but it seems a little bit stagnant, you know, like, uh, call it stump samadhi. <laughs> it's just kind of, uh. um, and so then what's needed is a little bit of, of um, banya injection, start inquiring, and, and maybe, why, what's it resting on? And it may be that the energy faculty is, is is not enough, not enough energy. So bringing mental energy is generally the sense of inquiring and handling and shaping and touching it. Now we can try to bring that in. If it gets stale, you can start to ask questions. What's happening? Don't get responsive. You just keep gently touching the mind, the state. Do you like this? No. Good. Now, how do you respond to that? Since you notice you don't really enjoy this 
rather start the stale state. Oh, I think I need a little bit. You know, maybe just that, just a long in-breath to brighten up. And then there's also images can arise. Now we can get images which are pretty obvious images like memories and pictures and people's faces and stuff like that. And you don't want to, that's just the mind is kind of still, you know, not settled. And we get other images which may seem more um, abnormal, lights and uh, things like this, qualities of lights or even sound images like silences or ringing sounds and the sense is to notice whether the mind is pulled by them, fascinated by them and if they are you just withdraw you turn away from it, turn back to the you could say the physicality of the body but if you find that something arises which seems to be a representation of skillful quality it's not just a playful mind, but it represents, this feels like the quality of steadiness has a certain, uh, I don't know, warm, gentle, I call it vaguely luminous, then good, then give attention to that. Because it's representing, the mind is just representing uh, an image of what your experience is. But if they're just Dancing around, you want to not want to bother with them, but draw your attention back to something quite grounded. I think I'll deal with the last question session. Akanda. There's a this term Akanda, the five aggregates. Could you explain them? How to 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 practice with them? And someone lists them, form, rupa, feeling, vedana, perception, sanya, formation, sankara, sense consciousness, vijnana. These are the five aggregates. <laughs> so that's, that's one way, uh, a, a very um, standard way in which the Buddha tried to define our direct experience. Now we may think our experiences of people and things and the future and the past and myself and others and memories, but it's actually you can condense all that uh, into five five aggregates, which and the usefulness of this is it gives us something that you can use no matter what situation you're in. Whereas the rest of our world is constantly changing from place to place, people to people, mood to mood, uh, hungry, sad, excited, see my friends on my own, I'm here, I'm there. So it's all very variable. You don't, you can't really, you know, get a, get an accurate um, teaching from it. So you say all this. First of all, we'd say, well, this is occurring in consciousness. And actually, um, why it's called aggregate is because it's made of separate things that are bound together. So there's a visual consciousness, 
which is not the same as touch consciousness, is it? Very different experience, right? When you feel them. Not the same as auditory consciousness, very different experience. Sound of a bell is not like the, f- the touch of a bell, not like the sight of a bell. It's a completely separate experience. Is that correct? And yet, what makes it into a bell? What connects the sound to the sight to the touch? Mind. Mind consciousness. This is called manovinyana. says, all oh, that. How does it do that? How does it do that? Well, it, it, it scans these various I mean, this is, um, consciousnesses, which it's, its mind consciousness sits on all the other five and draws elements from them and it creates something called a perception and a perception is means a generic reference an overall reference it's a label so we might say well this which is now visual and touched and sound all those bring up bell. <laughs> That's the perception, bell. We've got a bell. But then it's always, although that's useful because then we can employ that, you recognize every bell is different. <laughs> Which is the real bell? The cow bell? <laughs> the doorbell? The brass bell? They say, well, there are different kinds of bells. So the word bell isn't really, it's just a general word. And perceptions generalize. This is an apple. Well, what kind of apple? Is it a big apple, green apple, red apple, pink apple, specky, big, sweet? You know? So you're always dealing with perceptions. You're dealing with impressions that categorize experience. You know, say, this is a woman. Yeah, well, yeah, but there's lots of them, and they're all, they would probably all feel themselves to be rather different. <laughs> so you categorize according to specific ways your mind grasps at certain features. Now, if you turn it upside down, you could say, that's a cap. A little cap I could put it on my head. <laughs> what happened to the bell? <laughs> when it doesn't ring, it's not a bell anymore, is it? <laughs> A bell that doesn't ring isn't a bell. What happened to it? We just defined it differently. This is sanya. And these sanyas will be the mind, the mind grasps at certain features, sticks it together and creates this sanya. And it, those sanyas, that's the, the, they, they, this is what the citta gets. It gets something like that. It gets an impression of that sanya. So you say the word bell, and you go, oh, nice, ringing bell. You you get some feeling arises. Or maybe you think, oh, no, alarm bell, you know, school bell, source of discipline. Or it could be, you know. So then the touch of it varies from person to person. And this is, but really this is what the sanya is, that which touches the mind, the citta. So sanya is created by the manas, 
consciousness, mind consciousness, which supervises the senses, and citta doesn't know the senses. It's like an internal mind that only knows what manas brings to it. And the manas brings it sanya. Sanya. And with that sanya comes particular quality of feeling. Right? So we might say dog. And if you were bitten by a dog, you probably feel not very good about that. But if you have a cuddly little dog, you might feel quite happy. Feeling. Sanya is rise to feeling. Vedana. Feeling is of two kinds, bodily feeling and mental feeling. And uh, by and large, what we experience is mostly mental feeling. The feeling derived from sanya, because all the time, with physical feeling, you only have one sense base, which is the body. With mental feeling, you've got six bases <laughs> that you can get a feeling from. <laughs> so it's six times bigger. <laughs> Even though you may think the pain is in your body, most of your dukkha vedana is from your mind, from your sanya. And of course, this sanya can then refer to the mind, it's to the mind objects itself. So my perception of my mind is not very pleasant. So this goes on. It goes on because of another quality, another factor called sankara. And sankara, again, very simply speaking, is the response, the sanya. Yeah, so you get a pleasant impression of mind lifts up. Oh, I want more of that. That, that, that's an activation right, it's an activation then our attention is drawn that way that's sankara and our intention is to go to that that intention is sankara so depending on the sanya that touches the mind the mind can always say ah, not interested, throw it away that would be sankara I don't like, who cares about the sound of a bell throw it away so that is a sankara or fascination with sounds of bells that would be a sankara or interest so any movement of the mind that occurs and certainly in this case then we're really talking about the chitta being moved moved powerfully or just fluttering sliding or rushing sinking, retreating, withdrawing it's the movement of the, of the mind when it's touched so it says everything you experience of course is rupa which means there's definitely a form consciousness presents some kind of form visual form and that's what the mind bases its sanya on so it says everything you experience wherever you go is going to come under in that heap in that blend of these five aggregates and so you can of course you know put all kinds of different um, um, details on it you can have a perception of apples of cars of perfume of perception of friends of enemies perceptions but they'd all be perceptions good and bad pleasant and unpleasant they'd all be perceptions 
They said, well, just if you want to simplify experience, get to perception, because this is going to show you, um, it's going to show you your chitta. Because the, uh, one of the major problems of ignorance, avijja, is just we can't feel our chitta. We don't know it. All we know is sights, sounds, touches, thoughts. Yeah. And so what, the chitta is that which can be liberated. But if you don't know where it is or what it is, you can't liberate it. And it's chitta is always held within these the, the hand, if you like, of these five aggregates. Yeah. You could some people say the chitta creates the five aggregates, and sometimes it's trapped in the five aggregates. But certainly, there's a there's a relationship. So he said, well, you you get past the specific detail of the sight or sound, and get down to the the sanya is creating, that's where you notice your jitta, something shakes. That's your chitta. Something leaps up, that's your chitta. Yeah. Right? And that's very significant because if it leaps in the wrong direction, this is where your problems come from. <laughs> so you need to know that. Yeah, you need to know that. And because if it keeps leaping that wrong direction, this is called karma. And you start getting really stuck. Those sankharas get very stuck. You're always leaping in the wrong direction. You're always leaping into misery, anguish, frustration, despair. You're always leaping into I am. <laughs> and it says, you know, this, this could be stopped. This process could be stopped if we really understood all this is just a lit jump of the mind. All these emotional surges are just the mind jumping. They're so, they flood us. There's so much intensity and feeling. It's just the mind jumping, just the jitta jumping around. And if you get back behind the story to the basic surge and jump and flutter and, and defensiveness and begin to release that, world disappears. And this, this world that we carry around in, in our minds disappears. And you, this is what you can do. <laughs> if you get these qualities, if you're able to access them, now clearly the Buddha was a master. Nobody else thought the five aggregates. <laughs> You know, it was it was his presentation. It was, you know, he's the only person in history ever who created that 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 structure. So clearly, this is a man of deep, deep wisdom, and also, but then also compassion. Like, you know, I know it, it is it is possible to understand this at least intellectually. You know what I'm talking about. It's not remote, but you, you see and the, realize the importance of it. Because this is the key to suffering or liberation, and uh, you know, and it's very, very, you can get very deluded by it all. So this is why we get to direct experience, insight, you know, and and handling this material. Don't get caught by the sanya. 
Don't get lost in the feeling. Don't fight with the sankharas. Steady it. Look into it and realize it's all just just the jitter jumping around. Nothing substantial at all. But what makes it substantial is our energy runs onto it and firms it up. Our emotional energy, our psychological energy, even our bodily energy runs onto these things and makes them solid. You've got to withdraw it. And you begin to see, you know, even with a little bit, this sankhara, it's impermanent, it changes. The emotion changes. The passion changes. The happiness changes. The unhappiness changes. You know, and then we can more dispassion towards all that. You know, I know this is quite a lot to try and take in. (laughs) But you'll, you'll probably hear this time and time again from different teachers referring to these these same terms and uh, we do need it quite a lot <laughs> to really get it <laughs> you know but that's the question <laughs> so you know I've, I've taught this topic for a week solid and we still haven't got to the end of it <laughs> and even when you understand it you've still got to practice it but this, this is the, the master craft, you know, that leads to liberation. And if we get some angle on some of these, at least these really unpleasant perceptions, these really horrible, addictive sankharas, and begin to get to grips with those, then we've certainly liberated ourselves to some degree. We're going to feel a little more confident. You don't have to just believe in the, your mind all the time. and you can do it of course you can the Buddha wouldn't have taught it if you couldn't do it (laughs) just more practice is necessary alright (laughs) so let's conclude for the evening thank you